would you describe rest? I think, think about it in, in, in your mind. Like if I told you, hey, you're going to get a week of rest. I'm going to give you one week of just rest. What, what would that look like to you? Maybe, maybe a week with no kids. Oh, okay, no, sorry. I got a little distracted there, okay? Maybe a week away from work. Maybe a week with no debt. Maybe a week where you and your spouse get along. Maybe it's just sitting on the beach with an ice cold iced tea, looking at the waves. What, think about it. What is rest? If I, if I were to tell you, you get a week of rest, what would that look like? Sometimes we think of retirement. Oh, can we work all this time to retirement? When I retire, I enter my rest. There was a king in 900 BC, and his name was King Asa. And uh, what was happening at the time was Israel was divided. You know, we think of Israel as a nation right now, and we think of the people of Israel. They were divided, and they were actually warring. And King Asa was uh, the king of Judah. Okay, and he was in control of Jerusalem at that time. And it says this. There was no one at war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest. He was ruling. Everything was cool. He had rest. What happened was he actually acknowledged that his rest came from the Lord. It says in uh, 2 Chronicles 14, 7, we've sought the Lord our God, we've sought him, and he has given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. What a great analogy of rest. Isn't that kind of like what we want to do in our lives? We just want to build and prosper. And that looks like different things to different people, but we're going to get into what kingdom rest really looks like. What happened was, he's in this rest, rest on every side, everything's going great, and then someone attacks him. All of a sudden, this burden comes. Someone attacks him. And what does he do? He goes right to the Lord. He goes right to God, and he, he prays this. He says, Lord, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Now listen. He says, O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Not him, you. See, King Asa had this idea that this kingdom that he was in control of had someone else in control of it. God. King Asa had this kingdom, and, he, and what he had done, you have to understand, he had had generations of idol worship, starting with Solomon. Remember, Solomon was the wisest man in the world, and he, got, he had all these wives and concubines, which to me, I have no idea how the wisest man in the world can handle more than... So the, the point is, uh, it, they allow all this idol worship. I was just kidding, lady. They start all this idol worship, and that starts a genera- generational problem. And King Asa comes, and he, he gets rid of a lot of that stuff, and he says, we're going to follow after God. So... He has this idea that, God, you've got to defeat my enemy. And so God does. God wipes out uh, the people who are coming. 
And a prophet comes to Asa and he says, Asa, let me tell you something, dude. You need to be careful. If you seek after God, he will be found by you. But if you don't, he's going to be opposed to you. That's strong words. So what does Asa do? He gets even more fired up about his relationship with God. And he starts going through the, he, he starts like tearing down anything that has to do with an idol. Before it was just him and he was, he tore down some of the place, but now he's going crazy. And his, his grandmother was the queen mother. And she had this pole that represented worship to another idol. So he walks in and goes, you're gone. See you later. You're no longer the queen mother. I mean, this guy was on a terror to see God's kingdom established in his life. So what happens? The people just get a vision for it. And they start go, They start going, yes, this is what we want. He actually even says, which probably helps them get the vision for it, because this would be cool if I could say, hey, listen, anyone who doesn't like a chair, our new chair thing, is going to be killed. Okay, all of a sudden, you know, chairs aren't that bad, actually. Well, he did that. So he kind of cheated in a way, right? But people truly started to buy into this vision of removing anything in their lives that would get in the way of the kingdom. And listen what happened in Second Chronicles 15... 14. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation. What we've done this morning was shouting with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they'd sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them. And so the Lord gave them rest on every side. They got serious about their faith. They removed the idols and the Lord gave them rest. Well, what happens? They began to worship the rest. Rest became what they really wanted instead of relationship. And so what happens is King, King uh, Asa gets this message from the prophet and he goes crazy. He's all, everyone's ready to go. And they got the rest and then they began to go, oh, we don't want to lose our rest. And so another uh, another group of people come to, to wipe them out. And this time Asa says, oh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make a pact with another king. And they gave him some money out of the temple. They gave him some of his personal cash and said, hey, would you partner with us to wipe these guys out? And the guy goes, totally. So they go in, they wipe them out. It worked. It worked. They kept their rest. It wasn't quite as when God did it, they weren't completely wiped out, but the battle was over and they had won. And the prophet came back and went, Ah, oh, guys. It started out great. It started out with this relationship with, with God and God was blessing it and he had given you rest on every side. But then you began to want the rest more than you wanted God. And here's what he said to him. He said, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. You've done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. Ah! As we reflect on that story, kind of a precursor to where we're going into in Matthew, think about what you thought about as rest. I'm not trying to trick you or cheat you or set you up for failure, okay? 
But how much of that included Jesus? How much of that included God? Because when I started thinking about rest, it, it didn't, I, I, was, I wasn't thinking about God. I was thinking about, wow, you know, this, this would be the great thing. Keep the baby in here if you can, because she's going to be my example, okay? So don't, don't freak out that she's crying. That's fantastic. She works in great. I was hoping there'd be a baby somewhere in here, all right? That's what happens. We begin to think of the rest as the goal. Rest is an outcome of a deep relationship with God. And Jesus said, you will have rest for your souls. If I had an image of how I would picture what rest truly is, it would be this. Look at that. Yeah, wait till she wakes up. That's fantastic. Me, personally, I, I, don't, I love babies. I think they're fantastic. Until they wake up. This baby has utter dependence and confidence in her caregiver. She is knocked out. She is completely done. Just, have you ever seen a sleeping baby? Just it's the cutest thing. Her chest just watching them breathe. It is so awesome. Now, when she gets to be 15, it'll be a different story, but (laughs) that is my depiction of rest. And what Jesus says is, that can be your soul. That can be the core of who you are. That, That can be you. Just But you don't know my life. There's no way with what I'm going through, that could be me. Well, let's go ahead and turn in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus has just cursed two cities. So he's he's not very happy right now. Um, You think, boy, is he really offering it up to these people. Look what he says here. At that time, right after Jesus says, Woe to you, Corazon and Bethsaida. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal it. Come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you look at your outline, we got four points this morning. They all start with a different letter that it spells rest, okay? That's for you left-brained, right-brained people, whichever the one is the creative side, or you're looking at it going, it's not very creative, so maybe it's not. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about four ways that we can have kingdom rest, the rest for our souls, not the rest of retirement or of getting along with our neighbors or getting away from work for a while, deep rest for our souls. And so we're going to go through this section of Scripture 
section by section and see what Jesus might be saying. The first thing is we relinquish our pride. If I were to say to you, you big baby, to a man, imagine if a man came up and said, you know, I don't like these chairs. And I'm like, you big baby. I don't like the chairs, sissy. That would be, those are, I wouldn't be up here right now, especially some of you would knock me out, okay? It's hard to say I'm a big baby. It's hard to be a baby, right? Because we want to we achieve. We want, we want it to be kind of dependent on us. And what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God doesn't come to those people. Now, I, I want us to understand what he's not saying. He, He's not saying if you're, like, only stupid people can come to Jesus, right? If you're a thinker, uh, it's not so much for you. That's not what he's saying, okay? God has given you your intellect, and God wants you to use that for his kingdom, expanding it as much as you can expand it, so that your impact for the kingdom is great, okay? I'm all about education. But what he's saying is, if you forget that you come to me with nothing, you're going to miss elements of the kingdom that can really impact this rest. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 5? It was the Beatitudes. All of Matthew hinges around the Beatitudes. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you come to God poor in spirit, going, Lord, I got nothing. I might have a PhD. I might make millions of dollars. But I'm not going to get that kingdom rest until I say, I got nothing for you. And that's when God begins to stir your heart. When you can say, here I am. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I, I can't work my way into your kingdom. I'm a big baby. That's when he comes in. He says in Mark chapter 10, 15, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. There has to be a sense that you go, I can't do it. I I need Jesus. If not, it's just going to be burden after burden after burden, striving after striving. Paul was talking to the uh, church in Corinth, and he says, do you remember when you came to God? He says, do you remember that? He said, there's not many of you who are wise or learned or uh, were rich or you know, had all this great stature. And then he said this. He said, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. If you want rest, you have to see that you cannot do it on your own. Because if you don't, it's just going to be... You may have times of like, oh, I got a raise. I'm so, I mean, how many times has that happened to us? We get a raise and we go, oh, I got some breathing room. And then three months later, we're like, oh, it wasn't enough. And you get another raise. I, I have a, a, a friend uh, who's, who is friends with a guy who was talking about his financial problem. And uh, he said, I don't know if I told this story or not. He said, uh, you know, I'm, I need to get on a budget because my monthly expenses are just too much. I've, I've, but I can't figure out where I'm going to start cutting my budget. And so my friend said, well, if you don't, if you don't mind, I mean, I can help you. I, I'm good at that kind of stuff. What, what's your monthly budget that you want to 
that you want to crack? And he said, it's $80,000. A month, okay? A month, right? And everybody laughs like, I wish I had that problem or whatever. The point is, it doesn't matter what it is. You will not find rest in finances. You will not find rest in relationships. Oh, if I just get married, everything will be better. You won't, you won't find rest there. All the married people are like, ha, ha, ha. Next week, we're starting a series on marriage, okay? Nicodemus, teacher in Israel, smart guy, comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, here, I'll put it up here. Nicodemus, and in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. We use that term all around, born again, I'm born again. It's, just, it's become a term that just means nothing. You know, if I said, oh yeah, I'm born again, half of the people would think I'm just like a fundament, right-wing fundamental wacko. Other people would think I was a Jesus freak, whatever. What it means is you die to this life and to the way we find happiness and satisfaction and purpose and we're reborn in Christ and we take on an entirely new perspective in life. So see, we, we, we are in our sin before God, we're dead. We're dead. We don't have a, an ability to have a relationship with him. And so he brings Christ down who dies on the cross and we say, God, that sounds weird to me, but yes, Lord, I need you. And all of a sudden, there's a new birth and a new way of looking at life. But we have to relinquish our pride. We cannot give ourselves rest. Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. We relinquish our pride. The second thing we do is we embrace his lordship. There's a couple verses here. One is he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, we've been talking about these two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. Did you know that God is the Lord of both of them? Even though those two kingdoms are at war, and even though that we are striving to have more of the kingdom in our lives, God is still the king, uh, the Lord of both. And Jesus brings this authority down to himself, and he says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son has cho chooses to reveal. Jesus is saying, look, if I told you, hey, relinquish your pride and stop thinking about all the things in life that you think about. And you go, okay, done. <laughs> I'm going to stop thinking about it. It's no good until we embrace the Lordship of Jesus. See, I know a lot of people who've relinquished they're, you know, well, you know what? I, I'm not even going to worry about I know someone very dear to me. I'm not even going to worry about my retirement. Oh, I, don't need, I don't care. The Lord will take care of me. Okay. But have you really embraced his lordship? You've put aside that worry. We can try to get and do mental exercises to try and relinquish our pride. But until we say, God, you are it now. I've put that aside and now you're king. We miss this other part of rest. You say, well, making someone king and lord over me doesn't sound like rest. It is when your caregiver is like that baby's caregiver who is looking after your best interests. 
knows how you were created is your heavenly Father, then it's not a big deal. Look at what it says about, in Ephesians, it says that God raised Jesus from the dead and it seated him on the right hand of the throne of the Father. And then it goes on, and watch this. It says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and anointed him to be head over everything for the church. This is what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Okay? He, he had to, he, he was working for God when he was going after the Christians. But God came and said, he blinded him and said, Paul said, you know, yes, Lord. He said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. You've got all this stuff, all this religious stuff going on, great, but it's about me. I'm the Lord. And so Paul gets blinded, and then he begins to what? He, he starts this new life in following Christ. This new life. And we'll get to that a little bit more about Paul. But we can't just relinquish everything and go, okay, I'm going to stop worrying about all that stuff. We have to embrace him as Lord. The third thing we do is we settle on Jesus we settle on just Jesus. Now think about your relationship. Think about your religion. We don't want to talk about relationship. Your religion. If someone said, what religion are you? You'd probably most of you, if not all of you, would say, I'm Christian. I'm Protestant. I'm whatever. And what does that entail? I pray. I read the Bible. I go to church. I give some money. I buy a chair. Okay, right? <clears throat> or two or whatever the Lord's putting on your heart, right? <laughs> So you guys are starting to get, these guys are starting to loosen up a little bit to the whole chair idea. I like that. We're only one sermon into it. This is pretty good. I can't stress this enough. I try to stress it every week. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Like everything we do in Christianity, if we're not settled on Jesus, is just meaningless. You say, well, John, what about reading your Bible? Let's take reading our Bible, okay? So here I am, I'm reading my Bible, and it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, pray with thanksgiving, yeah, and you'll have peace. Cool. What's my goal? Peace. Good. Oh, peace. If I pray, I'll get peace. That's not a relationship if you're praying to get peace. I read that, and if I come in with this idea of, Lord God, I want my relationship with you to be rich. I want, it to, I want to rest. I want my soul to rest in your kingdom. What does this verse mean for me? And the Lord will speak to you on that. Going to church, if we just come to church because that's what we do on Sunday, that's no good. I want to come to church, and I want to w- worship with everybody to, as, as we celebrate what God has done in our lives uh, uh, from last week and uh, it, it's a time to just put things aside and just focus on the words and the music and hear all the voices around me and go oh lord you're so good these are your children who you've redeemed right giving i i'm always talking about giving you know if you're new here don't be offended but i'm always talking about giving because that's part of the resting it's part of the saying look i'm going to relinquish this money it's not i didn't get it i had nothing to do with me i'm going to give it to your kingdom 
If you give just because of something else, somebody taught you you'll get more or whatever, it's no good. We give with a cheerful heart to go, oh, Lord, I, this is an offering to you, to Jesus for saving me. Thank you. I can't give you enough. We settle on Jesus. It's very important. What was happening, uh, the religious people of the day, they had all the religious stuff down. And Jesus is frustrated and he says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it's these that testify about me. About me. And I want us always, if you're a thinker, if you're a feeler, if you're however you, I want you to incorporate Jesus into your thinking, Jesus into your feeling. Settle on Jesus. We relinquish our pride. We embrace his lordship and we say, okay, it's you and me, God. What are we going to do? And Jesus says the thing, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. There's two words here. Weary, uh, if you want to get, for all of you Bible scholars out there, it's in the present active participle, which means you're in the process of being fatigued. This is a process, okay? I looked that up, by the way, just so no one senses like, oh my gosh, this guy's a genius. I, I, I read that in a commentary, so we can all settle down. Uh, it means w- to work to the point of exhaustion. You're in the process of working to the point of exhaustion. And some of you are there right now. You feel utterly exhausted. And Jesus says, go to church, because there's great music there. And you'll feel a lot better. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, read your Bible because there's some good principles in there. And by the way, read Chicken Soup for the Soul because there's some good principles in there too. He says, come to me. You feel fatigued? You've been working? You're a single mom? It's just been day after day after day? You're in a bad relationship? It's day after day after day? You're trying to keep the house day after day after day? Jesus says, come to me. Settle on me. Settle on Jesus. And then he's got another word. He says, burdened. This is the perfect passive participle. It means it's already been done. Somebody's taken a big load and shoved it on your back. And you might not be worrying and working and fatiguing. It might be that one time when you were a little kid, somebody molested you, and they took a big burden and placed it on your back and said, now go live life. Or one day your spouse walks in and says, it ain't working for me, I'm gone. And they took this huge burden and just placed it on you and said, now go get get them. Or your parents came in and said, you know what? It ain't working out and we're getting divorced. So now go ahead and work. You got two sets of parents and one's dating and one's not. Now go to school. Have a great day. It's a burden. Or one day you came into your cubicle. You had a great weekend. You come in, and there's a pink slip sitting on your desk. And they say, hey, good luck finding a new job. We'll write you a great recommendation. And it's a huge burden. And we say, if I only had another job, if my parents didn't get divorced, if only they didn't treat me that way, if only, if only, if only. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Getting a new job is not going to take that burden. Having your parents get back together is not going to take that burden. Come 
to me. Settle on Jesus. It's the only way. Have you ever been a little kid and or have a little kid and they're trying to get a shirt off their head that's the neck is too big, too small for them? And I, I, and I remember doing this as a kid. I don't know how I got the shirt on, and, but I can't get it off. I think it's because you have kind of a dome shape up here, but then when you get under here, it's more of kind of a lock, you know? And so you get this shirt on your head, and then you try to take it off, and it gets over your head. Now you can't see, and your arms are stuck, and you start flailing all around. And instead of just stopping right? And so you're a parent, and you're like, okay, stop, stop. And they're like, uh, uh," and they're flinging all around because it's stuck on their head, and they're getting frustrated, and they can smell their own breath, and they're getting claustrophobic, and they're just about ready to burst. And you say, get, stop, stop, come here. Pull the shirt back down, knuckle head, and you pull it tight here. And they're like, oh, thanks. And off they go, and they break, break a lamp or whatever they do. I just always want to share personal examples there, don't I? (laughs) Listen, that's the thing. That's us. We have a shirt stuck on our head. And we didn't put it on, and it's not your fault, or maybe it is your fault. Maybe the debt you're in is your fault. And we're like, I'll get out of it. I'll get. And we just think, if I could just get this thing off me. And Jesus is going, stop. Stop. Come to me. Come to me. Now what's going to happen when we get to Jesus? I'm going to blow past this. Uh, these next two. Don't worry about those. What's going to happen? Total surrender. Total surrender. It's not us and Jesus getting that load off, being weary, heavy laid. It's total surrender to Jesus. Which means, ah, well, total surrender. I still kind of want to retire, and I still kind of want to do this kind of stuff. If I totally surrender, what am I, what do I sacrifice losing? Everything that burdens and fatigues you. This is the last part of rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about this. This is a yoke, okay? It's wooden and your head, well, if you were an ox, uh, goes in that little U-shaped thing, okay? That's, that's what a yoke is. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm going to take off this burden. I know you've been striving very hard, but I want you to calm down. And I want, I'm going to put this yoke on you. Now, the thing about the yoke is fascinating because Jesus probably made a lot of these as a carpenter. What would happen is the, uh, the farmer would bring his oxen to the carpenter's shop and, the, and the, the, the carpenter would measure out the oxen, see how the oxen was uh, shaped, and then he'd custom make this yoke out of wood. And he did it well so that there'd be no chafing. You, did, you didn't want to put um, you know, an, uh, a yoke that goes like that on a big oxen, right? And you didn't want to put a big thing on a little... You know, we have this little dachshund dog. It's, not a, it's more like a ferret, really, than it is a dog. 
But one of the, um, one of the, I, I was trying to find a picture of this giant collar because it, you to, to try and get a collar for a dog that small, it's like you have to be in the rodent section in order to, to get it. And we had this collar that was too big. And so it would be like that. If you put a big a collar on that dog, she'll just slip right through. And so the carpenter would take this, and I, I could just imagine Jesus with his hand tools just going over that thing to get it just right for that oxen. I'll bet he was a pretty good carpenter because he was patient. I'd just be hammering at that thing, just trying to get it done. Jesus took his time just shaping it, getting it just right when the oxen came. Can you imagine? I mean, seriously, imagine. Jesus is a carpenter, fully man, right? And he made this thing and he places it on one of his own creations. Jesus created that ox prior to him taking the form of a man. You get that? And so here he is, and he he takes it, and he goes, you know what? That's going to be perfect for you. Because he created that ox, and he created the yoke. You see that? So when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take this yoke. Take this thing I've made for you. And place it on your neck. Because I know exactly how you were created. Learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. It's a different thing than just a word picture. Jesus made that yoke and he made that oxen. Now, what does it mean? Yeah, I, I want to sh- share this one other scripture I have right here. Because you can just imagine how upset Jesus is. He's talking to the Pharisees. Now, picture Jesus. Look, he wants total surrender, okay? Now, the Pharisees wanted total... They were just shoving the law and making up all these uh, their own rules. And the people were getting weighed down by all these rules and regulations. And they didn't feel like they were worthy enough to come to God. And Jesus says to the to the Pharisees, he says, and you experts in the law, woe to you. Remember we talked about what that word means. Curse you. Yikes. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. Now imagine Jesus has this idea of the kingdom and he says, oh, if you would take the yoke I made for you, specifically for you, and put it on, it makes it much easier. Now, he says, my yoke, is e- uh, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, what is that word easy? Remember this thing from Staples? There's that easy button. And, you know, there's all these different commercials where, you know, everything's happening terrible. And they're just, oh, just press the easy button. Unfortunately, that's how we see rest a lot of times. Take it easy, we say. Easy does it, you know. Relax. That's not what the word easy means. It means well-built, suitable for use. My yoke is, is, is fashioned just right for you so that it has a good fit for you. It won't chaff or bind or do anything like that. It doesn't mean, oh, you have your problems? Don't worry, here. And, you know, gee, that was easy. And then you're done. Hey, I accepted Jesus and all my problems went away. 
That's not the way rest for your soul works. Bishop William Willimon says this. Life's greatest burden is not having too much to do, but in having nothing worthwhile to do. It's not just, oh, I'm going to just relax. It's that the Lord takes this yoke that's filled with gifts of the Spirit, it's filled with life purpose, and He says, what you need to do is bow your head and submit and get under what I have for you. My yoke is easy, meaning it's suitable, it's well fit for the purpose that I have for you. And then he says, and my burden is light. Because there is work to do for the kingdom, guys. When we accept Jesus, we don't just go into retirement. There's now work, meaningful work to do. Because we're surrounded by poor people who need food. We're surrounded by people who are dead in their sin, who are just trying to live a life that just ekes it out. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Now, what do you have to do in order to get Jesus' burden and Jesus' yoke on your back? You've got to relinquish your own. It goes back to becoming like a child. Jesus is the perfect example of this, right? He says he's going to the cross. This is a very difficult situation for him. Okay, this is a very heavy burden. But that burden was placed upon him by God. And so what Jesus says at the Garden of Gethsemane when he's sweating blood, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And yet the yoke of the cross was so well-fitting for Jesus because he was perfect that he says, but not my will, your will be done. It wasn't that the the burden was so heavy because God was just putting this on on his son, just like, yeah, that's your problem. It was fit for Jesus. He was without sin. He was the only one to take that yoke. We are in love. We are in love.